When I was about eight years old, I became obsessed with etiquette. I started reading Miss Manners' Guide to Excruciatingly Correct Behavior by Judith Martin. After that, I set up so straight, my second grade teacher talked about my perfect posture in my report card. It felt great. When work went virtual at the beginning of the pandemic, one of the first things I noticed, though, was how quickly my work manners just started to give way. I succumbed to bouts of goblin mode. More than once, I found myself chomping on full bags of salt and vinegar chips in the middle of the day while hunched over a grimy screen. Etiquette can feel a little antiquated. It's subjective, specific behavior that plenty of us don't even consider. But manners are really important to some people, me included. They can help us make the right impression, sure. They can also, though, help us respect each other and get along. So when you're new to a remote work environment or you want to set expectations for your employees, how do you engage in the right etiquette? Which rules are okay to break and which should you stick to? I'm Tiffany Jones-Brown and this is Remotely Curious, a podcast from Dropbox that asks all the questions about hybrid, remote, or as we call it, virtual first work. For today's episode, we spoke to Travis and Teresa McElroy, hosts of the show Schmanners, a podcast where they discuss extraordinary etiquette for ordinary occasions. One thing I love about the show is that they dive into the historical context for the strange, specific behavior society once deemed polite. Things like posture, sleepovers, even tennis. As podcasters, Travis and Teresa have been working remotely for years now. Along with their history-filled brains, their current real-life experiences offer unique insight into how remote workers should be, or could be, conducting themselves online. Oh, and Travis is a comedian. So even though we're talking about the formal ways we work, we're also just going to have a little bit of fun with this episode. So join us. Wife host and husband host of Schmanners, among so many other things. I'm so happy to have you here. Well, thank you. We're happy to be here as well. Yes, thank you for having us. Yes, and um, I thought we could just start with basics. Who are you and what do you do? Oh my, uh, that's such a deep question. I could spend the whole hour talking about myself. No, uh, so. And uh, often does. Uh-huh. Well, um, because our podcasts are pretty much about. Us. Us. I mean, <laughs> sure. I've been now a podcaster since 2010. So what's that, 12 years? And this is my primary job. But I mean, we create a whole bunch of other stuff too. Graphic novels and video stuff and cool. live shows and whatnot. But primarily podcasts. And I don't know, I have a theater degree in acting. (laughs) Travis is selling himself short here. The podcast he's been working on for over a decade is called My Brother, My Brother and Me, a comedy show he co-hosts with his two brothers that's got a hefty following. They go on nationwide tours, created a TV show, voiced characters in a Trolls movie, wrote books, and host other podcasts. Anyway, enough about Travis. Here's Teresa. I would consider this almost my third career. So I started out as a, as a lifeguard and then also then got my degree in acting. So then I was an actress for several years. 
And then I was brought into the McElroy fold by marriage. And now I'm I don't a like podcaster. the way you phrase that at all. It sounds like we were like <laughs> recruited you to join. Like, yes, you have a good voice. Come huh, join the McElroy family. Not exactly. I I love Travis very much. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying. I love you too. Um, and so we host a podcast together called Schmanners. Yes. And we primarily focus on the history of etiquette and culture and how it all applies today. Sometimes that takes the it takes the form of talking about like thank you notes. Sometimes it's about like biographies of people who impacted the way the world is now. Sometimes it's about what it was like to live in the time period of like, you know, if you were a Victorian maid or if you were, a, you know, a young rich man in the Regency period. And we try to stay away from the idea of judgment and focus on, you know, I think of manners and etiquette as a kind of guidebook to navigating social situations where it's just like, I don't know what to do here, but I know as long as I do like these six things, then I can leave this party and no one can judge me. (laughs) (laughs) You can feel comfortable about your behavior at the party. Sure. That's a nicer way to put it. Yeah. yeah. That's really what it is, is these guidebooks were about like, hey, you're about to enter, you know, society for the first time, or you're going to this, you know, uh, upper crust party and you're trying to make a good impression. Here's what you do. Yeah. And there are definitely people who use it as like a, well, you didn't do this and this and this, so I'm going to make fun of you. But those people are not doing manners and etiquette right. Those right. people are mean. <laughs> you may have noticed that we use manners and etiquette interchangeably throughout this conversation. There is a difference between the two terms. I like to think about manners as behaviors that are specific to an individual and etiquette as a set code of behaviors. So everyone has manners, not Everyone practices etiquette, though. But for the purposes of this episode, you don't have to think too hard about the distinction. So I'm from an Appalachian family who is not obsessed with manners. But for a bit of time, I was. And I was all about mismanners and guidebooks and things like that. And one of the things that appealed to me in the philosophy about it was this notion that etiquette helps us to get along better? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Do you do you agree with that? I definitely do. I also love a Miss Manners quote specifically that meeting rudeness with rudeness only doubles the amount of rudeness in the world. Oh, love that. Uh, so I think that the more that we learn how to get along, the better we can be to each other. And Emily Post, as another example of a really great like etiquette aficionado, uh, said that the best way to teach someone is by example. So by, you know, showing others that we can we can be kind and think of them first and things like that, they tend to learn how to do that as well. Now, see, that I think that that is all a very lovely way to look at it. And I think I come at it from a different perspective. So I have ADHD and as someone who sees social interactions differently and, and doesn't always behave the same as people without ADHD, I think of it as like dancing where I think there are people out there who can get out on the floor and freestyle and do just fine. And there are other people who need to learn the choreography so that they can follow the steps and that they know that they're doing the dance correctly. Hmm. And that's the way that I see etiquette for myself is I'm, I'm learning how to follow the steps so that I don't step on anyone's toes. So what got you all interested in etiquette in the first place? So etiquette is kind of just an extension of my love of history And 
I've always really enjoyed documentary series mm-hmm. that go into the actual lives of people. So not necessarily biographies, more like here's what it was like eating in Victorian England. I think one of the earliest examples of like Teresa and I finding a, a very common like, oh, we both love this very much. There's a TV show called Supersizers Go that was on in Britain with Sue Perkins and Giles Corrin. And it is all about, like, this is what it would be like to, like, live the life of a Regency young man and young lady for a week. But they don't take themselves too seriously, and it's very fun to watch. And so what it really drives home, and I think one of the things that we try to, you know, glean from that that we use on our show, is this idea of oftentimes we think of historical stuff as being very uptight just because it's old, right, and because it's historical. Hmm. And so often— we are are very surprised to find that there is almost a second layer to history as we know it, huh. where what you can find is there's a facade that mm-hmm. people put down in their books and in the media and that we see them through. And then once you dig a little deeper, you, you find their lives, right. which is very interesting. Hmm. I'm curious if you could think about what, are some of the big misconceptions people have about manners. You kind of mentioned one, which is maybe like thinking that in the past, everybody was just stuffy in one way. Elbows on the table is one, right, that I think about a lot, where it's like people think of it as like, well, it's just a test or it's a, you know, a thing of people, someone being persnickety. And the reason we don't put our elbows on the table is because it's rude to put your elbows on the table. But really it's because you don't want to put your elbow down in the soup, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, it's fine if there's two people at a giant table, put your elbows all over it. Who cares? But if we're having a big dinner party and there's like 30 people tucked into this table and there's all kinds of place settings and there's a soup bowl and a bread plate and then a salad and all these forks, don't put your elbows on the table because there's not a lot of room there. I'm curious just what you've learned about etiquette, generally speaking, since you started Schmanner's. Huh. I think that one of the things that people could maybe stand to remember is that etiquette is always fluctuating, always changing, because etiquette is what fits whatever is happening then. And that's one of the things we talk about a lot when we're talking about like thank you notes, right? And how are thank you notes different now when we can send emails and text messages, right? Than when you used to send a runner with a silver platter to deliver them. And I think that one of the things that often gives etiquette and manners a bad name is when people try to use outdated uh, standards to mm. judge the next generation. And I think especially as as is the focus of this show, when we're talking about the modern age where technology is becoming like the new, you know, ground on which everyone meets, trying to judge it by in-person manners and standards is it's not as applicable. You have to look at it through the lens of what's happening currently. Before the pandemic, it was pretty much not okay, or maybe just not common, to show your personal life, the messiness of your home, your non-made-up or non-dressed face. But after work went remote, that totally changed. And now it's common to see people making lunch during meetings or kids running around, your house not perfect. I definitely was fully dressed every day for work with earrings and mascara and all that. But now, some days, I don't put makeup on at all. One of my favorite facts is so men and like wristwatches and this idea for a long time, a wristwatch was considered very feminine 
because from like a soldier's perspective, if you wore a wristwatch, the glint off the glass of the wristwatch could give away your position. Whoa. Like to the enemy. So even if they wore wristwatches, they would wear them facing like inside the wrist so that the glass wouldn't shine. So like that's why pocket watches were a thing. So you could hide the glass. So like wristwatches were very feminine when they first were introduced. There's a there's a general trend as far as like things that go in and out of fashion that's so interesting. There's the pendulum swing of say like facial hair, mm-hmm. right? Um, where to be clean shaven was like the epitome of cleanliness and manliness and then you swing it all the way to the other way where like the rebel of uh, of, of the generation would, you know, grow out their beards and things like that. And just that pendulum swing of so many things, facial hair and hats and tanning and tattoos and makeup and... Even just like body shape is at least one. Yeah. And the amazing thing too is that whatever period you're in, the majority of people seem to think, and it's always been this way. Yeah. 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 It's so strange, actually. That's what I was just taking away was this idea that all of our etiquette is culturally and historically conditioned, but we just somehow forget that. It's really fascinating. Well, I want to transition into remote work etiquette. And to your point, Mm -hmm. there is not a lot of research on remote work etiquette because this idea of all of us doing it together is fairly new. But I know, I think you, Travis, have been working either all the way or partly from home for like a decade Mm-hmm. And if that's true, I'm curious, what's the biggest etiquette gaffe that you see people making in remote work? Yeah, for the last 12 years, I've been recording remotely. And, you know, it's the answer is the biggest gaffe is the thing that bothers everyone on the call. For some reason, I won't name names. One of the four people on the Adventure Zone has a set of nail clippers at his desk, and he doesn't do it while we're recording, but when we're on the phone, you can hear the distinct sound of, like, fingernails being clipped, and you're like, why did you wait until we were all on the call? But, um, (laughs) you know, I think a lot of people would probably say, like, eating on the call, Hmm. but... I think it's I don't think it's about eating specifically, although the audio for that probably is not good. It's I think it's about (laughs) the the divide of attention Mm -hmm. that is the biggest gaffe. And you you really need to set yourself up for success so that you can pay attention to the task at hand, whether that is having something in your hand if you need that or if it's eliminating distractions like we have a booth that we record in so not only does the booth make great sound it also keeps us from it keeps me from watching the fish tank yeah (laughs) instead of paying attention that's fair um so i think that's what it is it's about setting yourself up for success to dedicate the amount of attention that the task needs and i think that there's a couple things that are very simple that you should do that almost no one thinks about And it's like camera position is really, really important um, because I think people will just turn on the camera and sometimes it's like, you know, you get half of their face or it's like pointed down at their chin mostly or whatever. Or they will put it so that when they're looking at the screen, it looks like they're looking away from the person talking. Yes. And I think that it's easy, like that can be really distracting for everyone else. And just like a little bit of thought ahead of time of like your eye line and like that you're framed well in the picture and that you're lit well and all of that stuff can be a simple thing. 
but way less distracting for everybody else and all that stuff. Now, I should also say, though, there are lots of people, myself included, who do their best listening with their ears and not their eyes. Yeah. Right? And that is a thing where I constantly try to think about it. And so, I mean, that's the other side of the give and take, right? You do everything you can, and then you still allow for, like, human whatever. Well, that's that's the thing, right? Because you are mitigating the distractions. Right. So if you need to eat, that's fine. But you need to mute your microphone. Right, exactly. I've noticed you all do a ton of research for each episode of Schmanners. And I'm curious, have you done any research on etiquette in remote work or related to it? And if not, what should we be researching? I think that the thing that we probably should be reaching out to each other about as far as remote work goes is about when you're expected to be on and when it's okay to be off. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, like some people can accomplish, you know, without distraction, they could accomplish their whole day's work in two hours. Does that mean that they need to continue to be available the entire nine to five? Or can we move to like an office hours situation where like, I will always be available from noon to two, but if I'm done, I'm going to log off after that, that kind of stuff. I also think that if you're doing a bunch of like, I don't know, calls or video or whatever, determining a system that works for everyone involved, like for example, like if you're doing a board meeting or something on a call and there's like 12 people, 15 people on the call, having some kind of system in place of like how you determine who gets to talk next when Right. Because one of the things you have to miss out on, especially if there's no video, is all of the physical cues that Mm -hmm. we have to be like, oh, that person looks like they have something they want to say. What Travis is saying is supported by research. Turns out that conversation over VC is just stilted since it takes around three times longer to respond remotely than face to face. Psychologist and Professor Adam Grant has a system he uses with his students to help improve the flow of conversation and reduce interruptions. He'll ask people to use hashtags in the chat window when they want to say something. Hashtag debate to bring in real diversity of thought. Hashtag aha if someone has an insight to share. Or hashtag on fire if you just desperately want to get into the conversation right now. So as far as researching, what we should all be researching is our communication styles with each other. Yeah. I think is what what we need to figure out before we commit to we're all going to work remotely type deal because we would have worked these things out over a conference table beforehand right Right. you would figure out the you know the minutes from the last meeting and then you would go into who's going to speak today and then time for questions at the end and all that kind of stuff and we still need to research with each other and figure out how everything is going to work together Do you have any go-to etiquette advice for remote workers? It could be the advice that you give or that you've been given. I think that setting office hours, because this is one of the things, like when you work from home, it's really easy for that to bleed into other things, especially if you're like the boss and you have an idea or a thought or a question that occurs to you at like 6 p.m. instead of 4 p.m., And it's like, you've been at home all day, it just doesn't feel that different or whatever, but it's like, that is an infringement on the other person's not working time. So you have to like really build that in your own head of, even though 8.59 to 9.01 a.m. doesn't feel that different, because I basically just sat down instead of standing up, 
it's different because they're not on the clock. Yeah, yeah. And I found that making those invisible rules more visible, like just making them explicit is so helpful. Like, oh, yeah, we don't have to do, you know, email at eight o'clock and we'll hit schedule send or something along those lines. So right. um, that's great advice. All of this is about setting expectations, right? And you can't expect someone to meet an expectation that you haven't told them about. Exactly. (laughs) One thing we've had to get more explicit about at Dropbox is setting expectations around when and how we all work. For example, we started doing core collaboration hours, which are these four-hour chunks of time when the whole company agrees to be available for synchronous work, like slacks and meetings. Explicitly agreeing to go online at the same time means that we've got four extra hours left in the day for heads down work. This has made it so much easier to focus and get things done when we're working virtually. All right, let's shift gears. Teresa and Travis, we have a few questions for you from some of our anonymous listeners who need advice on how to avoid etiquette mishaps. Here's our first one. Dear Dropbox, so back in the early days of the pandemic, I got a job working remotely and I loved like the people that I was working with. And every day we had like a quick 30 minute meeting where we'd like check in with each other and see if anyone needed help. And at the end of every meeting, we would like share something that was making us happy, like pets or like baby pictures or whatever. But it like mostly ended up being like memes or like TikToks, just like kind of Internet things to give everyone a little chuckle. And then it was a good time. Like everyone looked forward to it and it was a good way to socialize during the day. But one time it was like my turn. And I remember sharing a TikTok that I thought was hilarious and it had some cursing in it that I had forgotten about. And when I showed it, there was like this kind of awkward moment afterward. And I felt kind of awkward for sharing something that some people might've seen as unprofessional. So I guess my question is how do I meme responsibly at work? I'm in my mid-20s and for my peers, like sharing memes is definitely like a way to bond, especially since the pandemic. It's just a big part of how I communicate, but I don't want to cross any etiquette boundaries when it comes to like work life. So yeah, any guidance on that would be great. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for asking. You you really touched on it. It's like this is a part of office culture and it really always has been. I mean, I think I've never really worked in an office, but I've watched TV shows and I've movies watched about the it. Office. And, you know, the sharing things around the water cooler type trope, right? This is something that has always happened. Mm-hmm. The meme isn't necessarily about you, whereas it might have been about you if you were standing around a water cooler, but it's it's the same idea. And so I do think it belongs at work. It's a great way to connect. And like you said, it's a good way to start your day off and feel some camaraderie. Now, I, I think that what I am about to say, Teresa might have a different opinion on. But when it comes to cursing, I words are words. And I think that the thing is, is the cursing, is it thematically upsetting? Because that's not good. Or is it just being used for flavor text, as it were, right? Because I think that there are plenty of things which are not only inappropriate at work, but perhaps inappropriate in social settings in general, or inappropriate in general, or maybe offensive in general. But then there are things where it's just like, well, yeah, they said this word, but that's not the point of the whole thing. Like, that, I think, is different. Because I think a lot of it 
when we talk about stuff like this on the show is what you're trying to do is create an environment in which everyone is, as best you can, comfortable and enjoying themselves. And that includes you, too. Hmm. Right? So if you're hiding some aspect of yourself to make other people comfortable, that's not great. But the idea of, I don't care what other people think, is like, well, that's a good way to make other people uncomfortable. I think that we are in consensus. It's it's okay to share the memes. That's how we connect. But we do need to think about the thematic nature because I think that this listener sharing this meme probably felt a little more awkward than they needed to feel. Yeah, I agree. And also, this is something we talk about on the show, too, when there's issues at the office, anything like this. Go to whoever your supervisor is and be like, hey, was that inappropriate? So then you know, because if they're like, no, that was great, you're then you're fine. Then Now you're covered, right? But if they're like, yeah, maybe that wasn't so great, then you know, oh, okay, thank you so much for the feedback. and uh, I'll do better next time. Right, exactly. Don't live in this ambiguity of, oh, no, was I wrong? That's awkward. Yeah, and again, it's kind of kind of getting what are those expectations in an explicit way and in a lighthearted way. Also, you said the word flavor text, which I'm logging for later. I hadn't heard that before. Yeah. I really <laughs> like it. Okay, here's our next question asker. Dear Dropbox, I teach at a public middle school, and for the 2020-2021 school year, my district had us teaching 100% remotely. Now, despite the difficulties of teaching music online— one highlight was not having to attend my work meetings in person. Having our meetings online afforded me a luxury I didn't know I needed, eating on the job. I could crack open all the cans of LaCroix I wanted and could munch on the crunchiest chips. If I was really going to town on something, I could turn off the camera to shield my coworkers from the atrocities I was committing. Now that we're back in person, though, I'm finding it difficult to maintain this lush lifestyle. My can cracking and bag ripping is turning heads in my meetings, but not for the reasons I'd hoped. What is the eating etiquette for online versus in-person meetings? Is there a way I can continue my culinary escape from these live emails? Sincerely, an appetite in Albuquerque. Nope. Next question. <laughs> well, it's this is the thing, right? It's like, I, I hate to put it this way, but when you ask this question, I feel like it's the difference between like, you know, eating a big bag of crunchy chips while watching TV versus watching a play. It's like, yeah, it's different. Unfortunately, it is a different scenario. Where, you know, you're going to have to switch to chewy snacks or whatever. <laughs> because that's the problem is you can't mute your microphone in real life. And so I think it's just like wearing, you know, pajama pants under the camera when you're doing at-home at meetings versus in-person meetings. We're all going to miss out on those crunchy chips and cracking open cans. And I think it's just a bummer. Open the can before it starts, I guess. Uh, yeah. Get softer chips. I think I think those are okay. I mean, you could also... Introduce snack time into your meeting. So, like, at the end, we'll pass out granola bars or something. Like, during the questions and answers, you can you can have your drink or whatever. But, again, it's, it's more about setting up the expectations, setting up everybody for success. I do like this idea of, like, did you bring enough for the class, right? Provide yeah. <laughs> bags of chips for everyone and LaCroix for everyone. And then if you're the only one eating, it's not your fault, right? Or they're for everybody. What if you're just an observer? in the meeting or maybe that's falls under the shouldn't be in the meeting actually if you're just an observer 
Well, this is where we need like those rooms that some churches have where a baby is crying. So you can go in there and they pipe in stuff into the room so you can see through the glass, but no one can hear your baby screaming. Just give a special <laughs> soundproof booth where you can hear the meeting and crunch on chips as loud as you want. That's this is this is actually revolutionary, and I would like to trademark <laughs> this idea. Nobody steal this from me. Um, noted. You heard it here first. All right, last question for today. My question is about the etiquette of visibility on online platforms. My job has a chat platform that everyone's on and it shows like green if you're available, red if you're in a meeting, or gray if you're offline. But you can also lock it so it's private so no one can see if you're online, offline, idle. And when I first started, I thought I needed to be visible. But then I noticed that I was putting a lot of time and energy into the appearance of working rather than actually doing the work. And so now I lock it and then I just do the work and don't worry about what it looks like. But it's about half and half. Half the people are locked, half the people aren't. And sometimes I wonder if people are suspicious of the people with the locked statuses that we are not actually doing our jobs or trying to hide something. But I'm curious about the etiquette of that, of how important it is to have your status visible, and no one has ever really talked about it at my job. Oh, that last sentence. Oh, yeah. that last sentence. Because no one has ever really talked about it. The The expectations have not been outlined. So it is difficult to know what what the expectations are. I think that being online when you say you're going to be online is important, yeah. right? So... If you say you are going to be available, then you should put your status as that, the green if you're available, right? And so being true to that, I think, is important. I also think, once again, man, if I was your boss, I'd be like, are you getting your work done? I don't care, right? Like this thing of if you were to talk to me as your boss and say, I find myself being more productive when I'm not worried about it. I'm like, okay, I don't care. Like, I'm not checking it. I mean, Like, your work is getting done and it's done well. And that's what matters. So That's the thing about setting the expectations yeah, right? explicitly, though. And this is, once again, one of the other things that we we touch on the show a lot is I think that that ambiguity where you say, I wonder if people are suspicious mm-hmm. about it. If no one has said anything to you, do not manufacture these problems in your head. Yeah, and in my management work, when I manage people, I find that doing a little bit of extra effort to soothe the nerves around that stuff makes a big difference. Like I can just come out even if nobody asks me and say, hey, what we care about here is your impact, not right. constant, always on presence. That is also a good rule because I think a lot of what we've touched on is like from the employee side. And I would say if you're in a leadership position, setting the expectation of simply saying like, hey, I know all of this is new for everybody or like there's been a lot of changes. If there is anything that you need to talk about or anything we can be doing to facilitate, you know, this working better. My, you know, my metaphorical door is open. Please do not be afraid to ask me for things. Set expectations from both directions. So question asker, you're doing a great job. Yeah. And if you're worried about it, ask about it. Thank you both so much for your time. This was really, really fun for me. And I learned a lot. So thanks. Thank you very much. Thank you. So I think I've got a few clear takeaways from today's conversation. Number one, be explicit. 
about what others can expect from you, like when you'll be checking Slack and when you won't, but also what you're hoping they'll do. If you'd like someone's feedback by the end of the workday, it's better to say, could you please give me your feedback by 5 p.m. today? Then, hey, can you take a look? In the words of psychologist and researcher Brene Brown, clarity is kind. Number two, context is everything. What might be inappropriate for one person or one cultural epoch might not be for another. Try to read the room you're in. Do people seem engaged and delighted by your Slack jokes or GIFs and emojis? If so, there's a good chance you're on the right track. Number three, don't manufacture problems in your head. If you're not getting negative feedback, try not to obsess. But if you keep going to bed worried you've offended someone, remember, you can always just ask. And finally, remember the words of my childhood hero, Miss Manners. Meeting rudeness with rudeness only doubles the amount of rudeness in the world. Etiquette may sound a bit stuffy, but it can also help us feel calmer and a little better at work. Remotely Curious is brought to you by Dropbox and our friends at Cosmic Standard. Our hardworking producers are Beauty Nazaro, Samaya Adams, Angela Johnston, and Asia Pilar Simpson. Our editor is Nina Gensler-Debs. Our technical director is Jacob Winnick, and our executive producer is Eliza Smith. Our designers are April Rosenstock, Felice Camille Tolentino, Fanny Lore, and Justin Tran. Our theme song is composed by Doug Stewart, and I'm your host, Tiffany Jones-Brown. Special thanks to the question askers for submitting questions. And of course, to Travis and Teresa McElroy for bringing so much knowledge and fun to this episode. You can find their show, Schmanners, spelled S-H-M-A-N-N-E-R-S, on MaximumFun.org. And for more tips on working remotely, check out the Dropbox Virtual First Toolkit at remotely-curious.com. Oh, and one last takeaway. Remember not to ever, ever cut your toenails on Zoom.